Pankhurst. Help Kevin Carter Pankhurst. Help me. (laughs) And you're listening to Girl on the Go. Can you tell I'm still not quite back in the swing of things? (laughs) Yep. Just too too many names. You do have too many names. Yes, you do. Uh, Yeah. Just just barely back in the saddle after five months off in Australia. Australia. What's really weird is that my brain really hasn't pro like I know I was there for that long but my brain really hasn't come to grips with the fact that yes everything here has progressed like it was five not, months also happened here yes it was not time lapsed or no time travel no or and so whatever. things are so different from when I left I'm mm-hmm. having a hard time reconciling that okay well yeah. I'll, I'll see if I but can but I'm still Kevin Pankhurst so yes. that's good <laughs> that and you're still good. listening to Girl on the Go I know these things also very good in my existential crisis oh uh, yeah well yeah. I'm sorry about your crisis well me too um, but if you can just put that aside for a bit we're gonna talk <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best <laughs> compassion coming through wow that's so beautiful the yeah the way a mother tends to her daughter is really something precious (laughs) we are going to talk today about where our self-concept comes from Mm. yeah um is it coming from a healthy place is it based on truth this is really important because how we see ourselves affects how we interact with others and even how effective we are representing jesus in the world oh wow yeah um, a, friend, a friend of mine, Kim, has a friend who is extremely confident. She's really attractive, and she knows it. And she's often complimented by by total strangers. So it's it's, it's not surprising to her when this happens. But she doesn't take herself so seriously that she couldn't have a real laugh at something that happened to her. And and she shared it with our mutual friend who loved the story so much she told me. And now I'm telling all of you. Telling everyone. Because it's pretty awesome. So she was in her car. She's pulling up to a stoplight when she becomes aware of the woman driving the car beside her, looking at her, like staring at her intently. And Kim's Kim's friend thought, oh, she's thinking how good my hair looks. (laughs) It really does look so great today. The woman motioned for her to roll down her window, and so she did. And she's as she's rolling it down, she's getting ready for a compliment. <laughs> Preparing to be graceful. And she flashes a warm smile to the lady beside her. And the woman says, she leans over toward the passenger seat and says, so that you know she could be more easily heard, and she says, You are a terrible driver, and rolls up her window. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Do you ever wonder what it would be like, though, to be that kind of person who just goes through life expecting compliments from strangers? No, because I do that, too. (laughs) I was the pretty girl for a really long time, (laughs) which is hard for me to believe because you just pulled all your hair in front of your face and you look like Cousin It. (laughs) But green. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. Yeah, Yeah, especially, uh, this is not the most flattering thing to admit, but especially if it's a man coming up to me, I assume he's going to tell me I'm pretty or like ask for my number or something still, because it did happen a lot when I was a younger woman, Mm -hmm. as if I'm old, I'm 28, but when I was like a very young adult and a teenager, it happened a lot. Wow. And so (laughs) it kind of wrecks you, honestly, it's not great. (laughs) So yeah, 
I kind of get it. You kind of get yeah, it. I okay. resemble that statement. Well, I, I would have to say that most of us uh, don't go through life with that kind of confidence. You should I think, try it. It's great. <laughs> I, I think most people uh, don't see ourselves that way. We, we look in the mirror and we notice more flaws than fabulous for the most part. Mm-hmm. But what if the reflection that we see when we look in the mirror isn't telling us the truth? I mean, is it ever? What's on the outside does not reflect who well, you are. Well, true enough. But also, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 um, says this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Mm. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. And from this, I I take that only God sees us clearly. If we go through life as if what we believe, uh, if what we, if we go through life believing uh, of what we believe about ourselves is true. Wow. That was really hard to say. We got there. I'm with you. Um, you know, what, what if we've been deceived? What if what we believe isn't true? What if we are so much more beautiful, valuable, and cherished than we could ever imagine? What would change? How would our lives be different if we knew, if we saw what Jesus sees when he looks at us? And, and I'm not just talking about our appearance either. There are powerful influences that affect how we see ourselves, like, mm-hmm. you know, the labels attached to us, for example, by mm-hmm. parents or, or teachers or peers. Um, the presence of sin in the world distorts our culture and our thinking. And of course, the enemy of our souls takes full advantage of those delusions. What Satan wants us to see in the mirror is not what Jesus sees. And when I speak of looking in the mirror, I'm talking about what we see when we, when we look inside ourselves as mm-hmm. well, right? So um, how we evaluate ourselves, if it's, if it's based on our, our appearance, our abilities, our successes, and our qualities, you know, we're, we're going to see our flaws and our failures. Sometimes we experience real shame, and we long to cover up who we, who we really are. Have you ever wondered where that comes from, that desire to cover up who we really are? Mm, I mean, yes and no. This is one of those, I'm pretty sure the answer is Jesus questions, I think. (laughs) But it sounds like a squirrel to me. It sounds like a squirrel to me, yeah. Um, It would track to me, I don't think it's insignificant that in the Bible, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of Eden, they suddenly become aware of their nakedness and feel the need to hide and cover up and because they're exposed to shame. So to me, that desire to hide is a result of shame, which is a result of sin. It's the first thing they did when sin came into the world. They, they, they hid. And, um, you know, as soon as, as soon as sin entered humanity, people began looking for ways to hide. They looked at themselves and saw something unacceptable. Yeah. And, so they covered themselves with, with fig leaves and they hid in the bushes and we're still doing it today. So how does that kind of hiding show up in our lives? I'm, I'm rereading a book that really has profoundly impacted me called um, The Gift of Being Yourself by David Banner. Highly recommend this book. Um, but he says this in his book. At some point in childhood, we all make the powerful discovery that we can manipulate the truth about ourselves. Mm. 
In short, we learn how to present ourselves in the best possible light, a light designed to create a favorable impression and maintain our self-esteem. He goes on to say, initially the masks we adopt reflect how we want others to see us. Over time, however, they come to reflect how we want to see ourselves. By this point, we have... we have thoroughly confused the mask and our actual experience. Our masks have become a reality and we have become our lies. The false self is like the air we breathe. We have become so accustomed to its presence that we're no longer aware of it. Just one more paragraph. The only hope for unmasking the falsity that resides at the core of our being is a a radical encounter with truth. Nothing other than truth is strong enough to dispel the illusion, and only the spirit of truth can save us from the consequences of having listened to the serpent rather than to God. Mm -hmm. So when we're very young, as the people and circumstances in our lives begin to inform our identity, we instinctively react, changing our behavior so that we can get what we need. So for example, I'm a right brain dominant person, actually think that there's probably just a big black hole where my left lobe is supposed to be. I relate. (laughs) And as a result, my thoughts don't march out with military-like precision. I mean, I I don't have my ducks in a row. I don't even have ducks. I have squirrels, and they're having a rave (laughs) most of the time. The label that I received as a little kid was scatterbrained. I heard it a lot, and I internalized it. And to be fair, I lived in my imagination way more than I did in the real world. I was hopelessly disorganized in school. I was always late. I borrowed things and forgot to return them. You and I are both the same in this way, which is why I feel like I can say this. We are very smart women who are absolute ditzes sometimes. Like very obvious. We're very smart. I promise we're very smart. But things like doors are difficult for us sometimes. Like keys. (laughs) Like seriously, we struggle with keys keys. and doors. It's true. Um, Things like that. That should be simple. That we're just like not good at. Yeah. Um, And it sounds funny and it kind of is, but then you kind of feel stupid. You do feel stupid. And I've gone through a lot of my life feeling incompetent. Yeah. And, you know, at, at, you know, after, you know, sort of becoming known as the ditz, right? The yeah. one who's always late, who's disorganized and all of that. It's kind of a mess. Yeah, I, my, friends, my friends, and I've told them they can call me this. They know me as the messy friend. Oh. <laughs> like, just like, <laughs> in general, like, emotionally and mentally messy. <laughs> but the thing is, the consequences of being that way catch up with you at some mm-hmm. point, right? You can't, I mean, you can diddle away through, uh, you know, elementary school being disorganized. But by junior high, they sort of expect you to have a pen when you show up in class. Yeah, I was still getting marked down for penmanship in high school, Mm. which they're not supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, that's not cool. Especially because, you know... I have underdeveloped fine motor skills. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) so that's not cool. But I remember the overwhelming um, emotion that came with... Um, a decision to not be that person anymore. It was shame. Yeah. Like I was just ashamed of being that person. And I, I decided that who I was was unacceptable and I had to corral the squirrels and curb my creative brain and try really hard to be organized and efficient. Mm -hmm. And it became phenomenally important to me to be seen as being competent. I became a perfectionist and a people pleaser. And I lived on under a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. 
and became really a very anxious person. I very clearly remember you driving us to school, listening to books about how to be organized. Mm, I would have been in elementary school at that point. So forever. Oh, it still hasn't stuck. But um, so competence for me was sort of like a fig leaf. Yep. Right. Uh, I pasted it over the chaos of my naturally creative brain. And I, I had to hide what I believe was a terrible flaw and pretend that, you know, to pr pretend to be what my mom and my teachers wanted me to be. And that was just one of my fig leaves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were certainly others. There's a lot to cover. <laughs> More all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but today I would like us to try to separate our true selves from the distorted um, reflection that we see in the mirror, to accept that... Uh, we may not see the truth of what's actually there. I, I want us to consider how that deception could be robbing us of contentment mm -hmm. and confidence, authenticity, and self-love. Now, why is this important? Well, because our desperate need to find acceptance and love in the world drives us to hide behind all kinds of fig leaves, unhealthy behavior that masks our authentic selves and affects our ability to represent Jesus in the world. I mean, if I'm running around desperately trying to get my own needs for acceptance met, I'm not going to be highly focused on reaching out to other people, am I? Mm -hmm. So what are some of the fig leaves, do you think, Kevin, that we use to cover our vulnerability and make ourselves acceptable? I think being busy. I think we place yeah. a lot of oh, yeah. value on oh, being busy. busy. I'm so busy. Um, we place a lot of value on being busy. I think to an extent, fitness Oh, that's um, a good one. Yeah, we hide our, well, because in society, and I could go on for hours about this, we place a lot of value on being small and yeah, thin, thin and fit. Um, and so if you're going to the gym, if you're running, if you're dieting, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, no. but, um, you know, you're a good person mm -hmm. well, if what, fitness is important It's to what's you. motivating you. Yeah. And then there's, of course, I mentioned performance and perfectionism, people-pleasing, mm -hmm. uh, care-tending, you know, being useful or needed. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and beauty, you mentioned, control. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and not even, yeah, I mentioned fitness, but beauty is its own thing. I mean, you and I have both colored our hair since childhood, and <laughs> we, wear all, we wear quite a bit of makeup mm -hmm. compared to the average person, mm -hmm. and... We're not particularly fussed <laughs> about that. No, I mean, it's, it's the way we've chosen to express ourselves to the world. And I don't think that that's necessarily an unhealthy thing. Yeah, exactly. And yet I know it can be a very yeah. unhealthy thing. Yeah, so we're not necessarily condemning these things, no. but they can't, like, examine them, yeah. basically. Because yeah. they are things that we do. And, and is, it, is it designed to cover up shame? Yeah, what are you right? hiding? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, our false self then is built on whatever image of ourselves that we cling to, to feel special. Mm -hmm. This is usually a trait of who we actually are, but it's only one trait among many. The problem isn't that we have that characteristic that makes us special, which, you know, might be being pretty. Yeah. Um, the problem is our desperate attachment to it. Mm -hmm. It's that it becomes our unconscious strategy for meeting our needs for love, survival, power, and control. Amy Poehler calls it your currency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. So we know that Jesus was fully human as well as fully God. As a human, I have to wonder how did Jesus form his identity? 
like all of us, he had a family. Mm-hmm. He also had a community who may have called him names for being a legit, illegitimate child. Later, he was rejected by his hometown and then by the whole religious establishment of Israel. Yeah. He was also tempted by Satan. And uh, just as we are, actually, and in the same areas. Mm-hmm. Um, he was tempted to draw his identity from material things, from power, from prestige, those kinds of things. So I want us to just look a little bit about how Jesus actually formed his identity. And to do that, I want us to focus on a little scripture verse that's tucked in before one we know quite well. The one we know, John 13, 4, starts with the word, so, which should make us curious about what precedes it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so here's the verse we know. Do you want me to read it? Sure. Okay. So, ellipses, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Okay, so let's get a little context Mm -hmm. in this story here. Um, This was a very humble thing for Jesus to do, right? Washing feet was a terrible job. It was one that normally belonged to the lowest person in the household. If a household had slaves, it was definitely the job of a slave. Yeah, they didn't didn't have socks at this point. No, they wore sandals, and everywhere they walked was dusty. I've been to Israel. It is incredibly dusty. Um, the, The worst smell I have ever smelled in my whole life is sports sandal sweat. <laughs> I, you know, remember that summer we were at Green Bay for five weeks. I do. Tiva sandals were a big thing back then. And they're back. And there were these kids were in and out of the water all yep. the time. And at the dining hall, sometimes I would just be gagging. That's it so was funny. so bad. Anyway, I don't know if it was that bad, but uh, it, I'm sure it was. Maybe leather sandals don't make sweaty feet smell quite as bad, but I still wouldn't recline. I still wouldn't want them in my face when I was eating. Right? One, and neither of us are, are Jewish, but you've done more study on this than I have. From what I understand, especially at the time, Jew, um, people of the Jewish faith were very focused on cleanliness and, and oh, purity, right? It was big a big, time. important thing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that. That's another reason. Plus the Middle Eastern. And when you're in Middle Eastern, even today, often your table is very low to the ground and you're not sitting there with your your feet neatly tucked under the table. Your feet are kind of alongside of somebody else's face. (laughs) So this isn't a a good scenario when you have stinky feet. So I'm sure none of the disciples were very happy with the scenario, not only eating with their own feet, feeling gritty and smelling gross, but inhaling the foul or order of everybody else's feet yeah but nobody was going to volunteer to do this nasty job and be seen as the lowest guy in the totem pole the fact that no one in the group had taken on the task before dinner when it should have been done oh yeah says quite a lot doesn't it now even if you take jesus identity as the co-creator of the universe off the table he was still the head guy who was still the teacher, the, mm-hmm. the leader of this little movement. Why didn't he feel the need to assert his importance? Why was he okay with doing a slave's work? The answer, I think, comes right before the so. So verse 3 says, and why don't you read it, Kev? Okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water in the basin. 
He then, be, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. This is telling us Jesus knew his identity. Mm-hmm. He knew he had authority from God. He knew who his father was. He knew his destiny. In other words, he didn't have anything to resolve from the past. He didn't have anything to prove in the presence. He didn't need anything from his disciples, like their admiration or whatever. And he knew his future was secure. He knew he would return to the Father. He could have listened to what his parents told him when they were exasperated with him, or what his community said about him, or what the religious establishment told him, or even what Satan told him. But he didn't. He believed what his father told him. He knew he was the beloved son of the father. He knew he was perfectly pleasing to his father, just as he was. And he knew his mission. Because of all of this, he was dangerously free. He didn't need any human's approval to be okay inside. He didn't have to jump through any kind of hoops. He could be his authentic self. He could be on mission, loving and serving people without needing anything back from them. Before we can ever fully embrace our God-given mission, we have to have our eyes open to our true identity, Mm -hmm. our identity in Christ. To offer Jesus love to others, we have to grasp his immense love of our authentic individual selves. Only then can we begin to give without expecting anything in return. What Jesus saw in the mirror was exactly what his father saw. So, What do you see when you look in the mirror? I don't know. I think we have a lot of different answers to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people see a disgusting failure. Yep. Someone who, you know, tries she might, can't do anything right. And I think it's worth saying that lately, a lot of us are a little unfamiliar with our bodies. Yeah. Because they've changed. And with good reason. And I know personally... I've really struggled with my perception of my worth, Mm. um, which is relatively new territory for me Mm -hmm. last few years. Um, And I, yeah, I have felt less important. Interesting. And less, I, part of it is I've noticed people don't notice me as much. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time finding clothes in my size, even though I'm still, like straight sizing Mm -hmm. um which very much plays into the feeling that i'm not supposed to exist Mm. because of my new size Mm. so you know i think especially now a lot of us are struggling when we look in the mirror on a physical level Mm -hmm. i i would say um i don't know if maybe I've gone down that road quite as much as you, Mm -hmm. but my self-talk is not kind. Yeah. And my daughters are both very good at correcting (laughs) me when I talk about my... I've had some stern words with my mother. Something about the... I think I said something to the effect of, how would you feel if you heard me talk about myself that way? Yeah, I wouldn't like it. No. Yeah, we are kinder with others than we are with ourselves Mm -hmm. very often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really, really important. You know, some of us might um, look in the mirror and we see somebody who's put on too much weight or, you know, can't do anything right or anything important or anything beautiful or, you know, I, I, you know, your self-talk is all about, I keep messing up my relationships and uh, my career refuses to take off and my kids aren't flourishing or my marriage is a failure or whatever. There are lots of people in that 
boat. Mm-hmm. But you could also be somebody who's really compassionate with yourself. Yeah. You, you, uh, you're more like that pretty woman who's a terrible driver. <laughs> you, yeah. know? You, you see a good but flawed individual. Mm-hmm. There are times when you're really disappointed in yourself, but also moments that make you proud. So which of those two do you think is how Jesus sees us? I think, I want to say like Jesus sees the, Jesus sees the beauty, but that's not even it. Jesus sees everything we are and everything we're not. But he loves all of it. Hmm. That's, I think that's the most important thing. It's not just like he only sees the beautiful parts of you. He sees the ugliest parts of you that you don't see and no one sees. But he has chosen you. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, God is all-knowing. He can mm-hmm. not know. Yeah. But he chooses to see us through the screen, if mm-hmm. you like, of Jesus. Yeah. Right? Through so, grace. Through grace. So he doesn't see us as imperfect mm-hmm. or as a total failure. He sees the family resemblance in us. Yes, that's a great way to put it. The parts of us that remind him of himself, right? The godlike qualities. Um, we were created in his image. My creativity, he placed that in me mm-hmm. by design. You're not yours, but somebody out there's organizational skill. <laughs> I'm moderately, I'm slightly more organized than you, I think. I think you probably are. I think. Um, you know, look at the universe and tell me who that organizational skill reminds you of. Your love of people, enough said. If you have a relationship with God, when he looks into your heart, he sees something else. The absolute moral perfection of Jesus. How amazing is that? Yeah, he sees the person he intended you to be Yeah, outside and, of sin. Yeah. So it's, it kind of seems too good to be true. And even if you actually believe it, you might not live in the experience of it. Mm -hmm. Until we see what he sees when we look in the mirror, we'll never really be free to live joyfully or love powerfully. We'll never embrace the life we were born for. And we'll never love others well because we'll always need something from them in return. Mm -hmm. So I want to leave everybody with sort of an assignment today. I'd like you to look in the mirror. I'd like you to lock yourself in the bathroom and look yourself in the mirror and ask Jesus what he sees. Not just about your exterior, but Mm -hmm. about who you are. Someone who's totally forgiven and therefore has a clean heart. Someone who has been intentionally crafted by the ultimate artist. Someone with qualities of God because you're created in his image. Seeing yourself in this way changes everything the way you walk into a room, free to love and serve others, the goals you aspire to, the way you allow others to treat you, everything. Mm -hmm. I, this is really important. Um, Because, and and like I already said, this is a weird season. Mm -hmm. And we are struggling. A lot of people are struggling and we're struggling to get things done and we're struggling to be more to our kids. If they're, you know, if they're, if they're doing school at home, like we're, there's a struggle and I think we're seeing gaps in ourselves that we never saw or never needed to see before. Mm, And I think, I think it's easy to be really hard on ourselves now. So this maybe more than ever, is really important 
Um, and honestly, if Jesus can extend grace to us, who are you not to? Um, yeah. To yourself, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If Jesus can be gracious to me, why can't I? Yeah. Be gracious why, to me? why do yeah. I think I know better than he right, does? Right. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm having trouble putting my thoughts together because I really, I really liked this episode. Um, <laughs> Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you liked it as well. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter, inviting you to grow on the go. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.